Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Are you or your team performing all possible vendor validations? Do you know which documents have the key data you need to confirm that the vendor you are about to create or update is real? Be sure by downloading the vendor validation reference list. It also has links to all the resources listed. Download at www dot Deborah D E B R A R Richardson R I C H A R D S O N dot com. Cyber criminals are evolving their tactics every day to get fraudulent payments. Next, you'll hear about what actions companies took against two employees that fell for scams and what you can do to protect yourself. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 72, Protect Yourself from an Email Scam Today. Okay, so we all know about fraud and accounts payable, whether it's fake invoices or cyber criminals masquerading as vendors or your boss to get you to send them money. So companies, they need to not only provide awareness training, but they also need to create or update their AP or vendor policy and or their desktop procedures with authentication techniques, internal controls, and best practices so you can protect yourself, your team, your company, and your vendors. But what happens when that's not done or when it's done, but you're not comfortable, it will fully protect you. There is more that you can do to protect yourself. But first, let's talk about the fact that fraud is evolving and so are the actions that companies are taking against employees. So according to the FBI 2019 Internet Crime Report, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, Business Email Compromise, or BEC, involves a criminal spoofing or mimicking a legitimate email address and using social engineering tactics like urgency um, to trick employees into fraudulent payments. The FBI in that report um, indicated that in 2019, their Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, received almost 24,000 BEC complaints, which resulted in $1.7 billion in losses. 
Now, if that stat right there doesn't convince you that regardless of what your company does or does not do, you need to make sure that you protect yourself against falling for some of these scams, then I don't know what will. And you probably already know someone that has received a write-up, um, a note in the performance review, or that has even been terminated as a result of falling for an email scam. Or maybe even you've heard of worse, because guess what? Not only are the cyber criminals' actions evolving, but the employer actions against employees are evolving too. So I have two scenarios here, both of which are a result of employees being duped into sending cyber criminals wire transfers. And in the first one, it's a worker in the financial industry, and that worker made three wire transfers totaling $511,870 to third-party bank accounts without confirming with the client. So that is a big no-no. Of course, this violated company policy and the employee not only received a 45-day uh, suspension, but also a $7,500 fine. So that's definitely evolving. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have not seen reported where an employee that fell for a scam also received a $7,500 fine. Now this can also be related to the fact that he was in the financial industry and it did involve uh, moving money around some financial accounts. So that could be a uh, part of it, but still a $7,500 fine. Okay, so the next one definitely shows where employee employer actions are evolving. So there was a United Kingdom, a UK employee, and this employee was actually sued for allegedly not following company policy when they transferred $200,000 based on an email that they thought was from their boss. And this boss was on vacation, um, not surprisingly. And if that's not an indication that if you are a leader who has the power to request transfers, don't put your business out on Facebook, on LinkedIn, anywhere that you're going out on vacation. Make sure that uh, you keep that under wraps. Share your pictures when you get back. All right. But anyway, so... $200,000 gets transferred based on an email from a boss that's on vacation. Uh, the bank was able to recover all but $138,000 of it. And guess what? The company sued the employee for the $138,000 that they could not recover from the bank. Now, in this case, the judge ruled in the favor of the employee. So the employee did not have to pay back the $138,000. And based on the article that I'm going to link in the show notes, um, the rulings were based on the fact that the language in the email was close enough to the boss's writing and that also the actual email address may not have been visible. So where the company thought that they had adequate awareness training that should have uh, led the employee to not send that fraudulent payment, um, the judge ruled against it. And the defense of the employee was exactly that. 
that the awareness training had been done four years prior and that there have been so many updates and new trends and again evolving fraud tactics that it wasn't enough to expect that employee to identify an email scam. Um, so it was really great that the employee um, did not have to pay back that $138,000, but let's not miss the fact that, you know, once you get sued by your employer, uh, it's a given that you no longer work there. And then if you have this suit hanging over your head, how marketable are you to get that next job? So I think these two examples, one with a 45-day a suspension and a $7,500 fine. Another with the employee actually being sued for the amount of the loss. I think that's enough to convince you and everyone out there that deals with accounts payable and vendor setup that they need to um, follow processes in order to avoid falling for an email scam and its potential consequences. So that last one, uh, the employee's defense, part of it was that the company had not provided security awareness training for over four years. So whether your training was last week, last year, a few years ago, or never, next is what you can do to protect yourself from an email scam today. Okay, so the main point of this next section is to make sure you follow the processes and the training that your company has put into place. And then I'll talk about some more things that you're at that you can add if you're not quite comfortable with what they put into place, like if you don't feel like it's enough to protect you. And so let's start with, you know, did you receive a calendar invite for security awareness training session? Accept it and pay attention. If you're given a reference guide to put on your desk, put it there and refer to it. Did you not receive one? Well, make one with the notes that you took or the uh, uh, documents that you got and use it. You can also share it with others. And if you have one of those fish ER fish alert buttons, that's from, uh, I think the company's name is Know Before. I'll link it in the show notes. But if you have one of those, know how and know when to use it. So if you're, I know we're all busy, but if your company has provided or is providing training and tools, make sure you are there front and center. I know you're busy. And I also know that these trainings don't get scheduled at the most convenient time. So I know in the past, I've been places where that training has been scheduled on month end close. It's even been scheduled on like January 31st. And those in accounts payable that send out 1099s know what frenzy um, January 31st can get to. And I know we all aspire to get those 1099s out before January 31st, but let's be real, we know how it gets. And so I know that training sessions can come at inopportune times, but you have to be there. Because again, your number one priority should be to follow the policy and or procedures and the training that your company has put into place. And then you also need to document that you followed the process. 
Okay, so let's say you've done all of that. You've taken all the training, whatever tools they have, you've put them into place, you know how to use them. However, let's say you're not real comfortable that it's enough, or maybe it's okay most of the time. However, you may just get a really suspicious feeling about a particular email that you get in. It's not the same tone as historical emails that you receive, especially from a particular vendor, because some of these vendors we deal with quite often. So now I'm gonna talk about a typical scenario where you call a vendor to confirm a banking change, but I have added an authentication technique, a best practice, and an internal control that you can add if it's not already in your policy or procedures that will help you be more comfortable with processing that request. You receive an email requesting the vendor's banking to be changed. So what's the first thing that you do? Um, we all know you call the vendor, but we're gonna add some stuff to it. So the first thing is you wanna check the vendor record for contact information, because you don't wanna use the information that's in the email. We all know that. That is probably in your processes or your procedures and your policy if you have one. So what do you do? You check the vendor record for the contact information information. But you go a step further and you verify if the email domain in the email matches the email domain from your contact's email address on the vendor record. If it's no, verify whether or not that email is spoofed. So if you see a, an extra letter, if you see um, a check for an I instead of a, a, a capital I instead of an L, that type of thing. If it is spoofed, then you know you need to report that email. But if it's not spoofed, you still have a different email domain than what you have on the contact in the vendor record. And so then you wanna break out or you wanna do an authentication technique. You can reply to the email and ask for at least two authentication questions, such as the last four digits of the tax ID, and the last four digits of an existing bank of the existing bank account number that they're trying to change. Now, don't let vendors tell you that they don't have that. They absolutely do. If they if you can't get it from that contact, that contact is the wrong person that should be submitting the request to change it in the first place. Also, remind them that as per the IRS, they have seven or 10 year retention um, requirement for uh, that bank account that they receive payments to. So they can find out what that bank account is. They just don't want to either because they are a cyber criminal or it does take more work to find that out. But hey, this is the trend of the day. We are trying to reduce fraudulent payments. They need to check. Now, if they don't pass this authentication, reject the request. If they pass the authentication, now you can go forward, get the phone number and the listed contact to call. And yes, you still need to call. I do recommend it and here's why. It's because that just like if the email domain matched the email domain on the vendor record, now your next step is to get the phone number and listed contact from the vendor record and now you're going to call. But when you call, you are going to ask for 
a different contact than the contact who is on the email to do the confirmation. Okay, so you've done the confirmation step, but you're not done yet. The next thing you want to do is you want to document the contact name that who confirmed the uh, change in, in banking. You want to document the date, the time, and you want to put it on a confirmation log. So if your company or your department has not put that into place, you create one and you keep track of the confirmations that you get. Now, this should be done anyway because you know, like I know, half the time you call vendors and they're not available, so you have to um, keep calling them back. You want to track those times that you've called and who, what vendor you're waiting to have the request or to, waiting to have their details updated. You want to keep that on the log because if you're out, now somebody's got to come behind you they know exactly where you are, what vendors need to be called for their confirmations and that type of thing. So there should already be a confirmation log, but if it's not, you need to start one. Okay, so next, yep, you got it, it's not done yet. The next step is a best practice. So you've gotten the confirmation, you logged it on the confirmation log, you updated the vendor record. Now you want to print the email and attach it to the vendor record in the accounting system or ERP or your designated restricted and secure system folder. But you want to retain the source of the change and the source of the change was that email. Okay, so the next thing I have for you is an internal control. And this is if the request for the banking change also came with a request for a wire transfer. Now with segregation of duties, you really should not be, the person that is updating the vendor record should not be the same person that can um, send a wire request, but we do know that uh, some uh, accounts payable or accounting teams are small. Um, there are compensating controls in place. And so this is a great internal control for that situation or really any situation because if you're forwarding um, a request once you've already updated the vendor record, that's an extra um, step or an extra approval step, again, to mitigate fraud. So whether you have to process a request or if you have to forward the request for someone else to process, make sure you put uh, leadership or a designated manager, supervisor, director to also approve that wire request. Now, I hope you have found some value and you're able to put some of these uh, things into place uh, if you don't already have them in place. And one thing to keep in mind that if you receive pushback from the vendor or from internal stakeholders, make sure you bring in your leadership for support and always stand your ground that you are protecting yourself your team, your company, and your vendors. And if you want more tips to protect yourself, you can get five authentication techniques, 12 Vendor Master internal controls, 13 Vendor Master best practices, and more in the all new e-guide, the three-step um, vendor setup and maintenance process. It's been updated for 2020 and includes authentication techniques, um, 
vendor validations and also tips on managing your vendor master file. So really it's authentication, validation, and management for your vendor master file. So I'll also put a link to that in the show notes as well. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 72nd episode of Putting the AP and Happy Podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect your vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.